So welcome everyone, good to see you today. I'm Grant if we haven't met before and we are starting a new series today which is Life in the Spirit. I think a lot of people are just commenting on the fact that Noxie did a full loop around the room just to sit right there. (laughs) Sorry, I don't want to embarrass you at all. You really smashed it, Noxie, well done. And also doubled up, a worship and notices. Not bad, not bad at all. Um, so we're starting a new series today called Life in the Spirit and feeling very excited about what God is going to do in us as a church over this. And what we're really wanting to do, what the big idea of the series is, is that we obviously want to look a little bit more at the Bible's teaching around who the Spirit is and what He does. But more than that, the, the big idea of the series is this. That I think for a lot of us, what we do is we have Sundays in the Spirit, you know. You're here today, and we worship, and we pray, and we listen, and we learn, and we spend time with people, and hopefully God speaks to you and encourages you, and in a sense, we maybe think this is a top-up for us. We want to get filled with the Spirit, filled with God, go out into the week. And then maybe we've got like a life group or like another Christian ministry in the Spirit, and that's another time we meet with God, we encounter Him, we experience something of Him, and we go into the rest of our lives. And I think we can live almost in a sense in these moments in the Spirit, you know, wake up in the morning and I pray, I have a moment with God, and then I carry on with my life. Come here on Sunday, carry on with my life. Go to life group, involved in something the church is doing, and then carry on with my life. But the idea with the series is that we want our whole life, all of life in the Spirit. That actually we want to walk in the Spirit. We want to keep in step with the Spirit. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to live for Him and know what He's doing and just enjoy Him in daily life. So we're hoping over the next while that that will really happen in us. And I think probably as I speak about that, a lot of us feel that is not the place we are at in the moment. We don't have life in the Spirit. We have those moments in the Spirit. And I'm hoping over the next two months or so that actually we grow and are stretched into more and more of knowing Him and walking with Him. But probably before we talk a little bit about uh, what he does, we need to look at a little bit of who the Spirit is. And I think whether you've been in church for a long time or whether you're exploring Christianity or visiting church today, we've all got some kind of preconceived notion or idea of who the Spirit is and what he does. Maybe it's even just because of his name. So maybe a few things about the Spirit, just some basics. The Holy Spirit is fully God. I think some of us think of the Spirit as more of a vague, cold, impersonal force, but He's a person. Uh, The Spirit is a warm, loving, and personal God who we get to know and do life with. The Spirit is called a whole bunch of different things in the Bible. You might have seen Him called the Comforter, or the Helper, or our Advocate, or the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of glory. There's a whole bunch of different terms for him. He's also called the Counselor and our God, which all tell us a little bit more about him. And some of you maybe growing up have also heard him called the Holy Ghost. But we don't really use that term anymore, just probably because of cultural things. The Holy Ghost sounds a little bit spooky and weird, sounds horror movie-ish. But Shell did tell me a really cute story yesterday. She grew up in a pastor's home. She's a little ministry kid. And at the age of four or five, she went to her dad and said, Dad, Do you know that God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost? (laughs) And um, he probably thought it was a really cute moment. I just think it's just a lame preaching analogy. (laughs) But we want to toss out any of that ghost thinking. The Holy Spirit is not Casper. That is not who he is at all. The Holy Spirit is fully God, this warm, loving, personal God we want to get to know and embrace and enjoy. I saw this story while I was preparing for the series, and I was speaking about some Bible translators. I think we are so spoiled, if you're an English speaker, that we've got tons of different translations of the Bible. Easy to read, harder to read, literal translations, slightly more um, idea-for-idea translations. But these Bible translators were in a rural part of China, and they were translating the Bible into 
the language of these local people. And they came to the idea of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and they thought, how are we going to translate this? They don't have a word for holy and they don't have a word for spirit. So what are we going to write here? How are we going to translate this idea of the Holy Spirit for these people? And you know what they settled on? They decided to call him the resident boss. So you're the father, the son, and the resident boss. And there's something I so love about that. The idea of the spirit who is fully God, he is Lord, he is king, but he is inside of us. He is resident inside of the people of Jesus, and he's the resident boss. He is God with us. Just like Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. For 33 years, Jesus walked the earth, spent time with people, and had meals with people, and walked from city to city and town to town. He was God with us. Now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you are the temple of the living God. The resident boss is with you everywhere you go and whatever you do, no matter where that might be. And Jesus says of this in John 16 verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, another name for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus has left us and given us the Holy Spirit as a gift for us to enjoy and for us to include in every part of our lives. But what does the Holy Spirit do? If you were after today to go home and take a highlighter, I prefer yellow, and go through different parts of your Bible and highlight every time one of the names of the Spirit is used from beginning to end, and there's a whole lot of search tools to make this easier for you, you would find the Holy Spirit mentioned a lot throughout Scripture, and you would find that there is a ton of different stuff that He does. In fact, we've made a list of 53 different things that the Holy Spirit does that you might go through this week in your life group or you'll find it on our website later in this week. But I think it's just so helpful because I think for so many Christians and so many churches and maybe so many of us, what we do is we find an idea of what the Spirit does, some passage of Scripture or some truth, and we just grab hold of and emphasize that narrow truth of who He is and what He does rather than embracing the full spectrum of who the Spirit of God is and what He does in our lives. So let me explain that just a little bit more. I became a Christian when I was about 12, uh, part of a small Pentecostal church in Pinetown. And maybe some of you have grown up in a Pentecostal church or visited a Pentecostal church before, but probably the truth around the spirit that they would take hold of and emphasize was based in Acts chapter 2 in the Bible around the Pentecost moment where the spirit of God was poured out on the church, the church was baptized in the spirit, and they spoke in tongues. So that was a huge idea in this church I was a part of, is actually we're going to pray for you, that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you would would speak in tongues. I'm not saying they didn't believe in everything else too, but that was what they emphasized and focused on. Maybe you grew up in a more charismatic church. Probably the emphasis or the focus would have been more around 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the gifts of the Spirit, some of the stuff that the Spirit does, things like healing the sick or miracles or gifts of faith or prophecy or words of knowledge or a whole bunch of this other stuff that we're going to look at a little bit later on in the series. And those powerful external supernatural things that the Spirit does are the things that are emphasized around the work of the Spirit. Or maybe you grew up in a church that ignored the Spirit. It was as if the Spirit didn't exist at all. So as I talk about the spectrum, you're like, I've heard him mentioned, but I don't know one of those 53 things that the Spirit does. I um, have made friends with a ton of different pastors in a ton of different types of churches over probably the last couple of years. And two of the things that have amazed me is how much some of these churches focus more on the internal rather than the external work of the Spirit. 
how the Spirit convicts us of our sin, how the Spirit empowers us to live holy and righteous lives, how the Spirit puts to death sin in us, how the Spirit helps us to become like Jesus. So Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, or really how character is formed in us. That is all the work of the Spirit. And maybe even more recently, just learning how the Spirit reveals our new identity in Jesus, how the Spirit reveals that we are loved by God and we have a new identity as sons or daughters of God. That is all the work of the Spirit too. I think as I speak about some of those things, maybe you are picturing some different churches or some different Christians you know who maybe are in this camp or in this camp or in this camp or in this camp or in this camp. And maybe you're thinking of yourself, you realize, yeah, I'm that one. I'm the Acts 2 one or the Galatians 5 one or the whatever kind of camp. And really what we're hoping is over the series we take hold of all of it. We want it all, you know. We want all of the work of what the Spirit does. And I think... Some of us probably are more in that internal camp. We love the internal work of the Spirit in our lives. Some of us love the powerful external things that the Spirit of God does. But really I'm hoping over the next while that the Spirit is going to give us fresh eyes and open hearts to really see more of life in the Spirit. Probably beyond just those external and internal things are some of the stylistic or subcultural things that we see in different churches. So if you have visited some churches, and maybe this is the first church you've been part of, you'll see almost different clothing, different music styles, different ways people respond to the Spirit. So maybe, for instance, music. When I joined that Pentecostal church I spoke about, they just believed in the organ and piano. Like anything else was from the devil, you know. Rock music was Satan's music. There was no guitars. There were no drums. There was none of that stuff at all. Rory, you would have been in big trouble for playing the drums at church. And every now and then in an evening meeting, we'd be able to sneak like one song in with guitar. But it was like a song item and it was a bit frowned upon because this was really cutting edge stuff. Some churches on the other end of the spectrum have got like 30 people on stage. There's like 12 guitars and multiple drum sets and so many instruments you lose count, you know. And it's just amazing the diversity or the breadth of music styles. Probably even uh, the outfits or the things that the pastors wear. Some of you, maybe when you think about Holy Spirit churches, think of a guy in a suit, a white suit, a little gold brooch or a flower or something on his, his lapel. And that's your picture of what a Holy Spirit church looks like. So you come in here and we're dressed a little bit more casually, jeans and shirts, and you think, ah, no, they're not one of those charismatic or Holy Spirit churches. I remember going into a church which was uh, really open to the things of the Spirit. And uh, they were just praying for people at the end of one of these services, and a lot of people were falling over. This was something that was completely new to me. It's not something I even fully understand today. But as these people fell over and lay on the carpet, they would come with a little blanket and kind of cover the people up. I was new to church. I was new to Christianity. I had no idea what was going on. I legitimately thought this was like a little, they were having like a little nap, you know, a Jesus nap in church. So they wanted to cover people. And it took me a long time to realize this was a modesty cloth to cover people in case any bits and bobs were to pop out during what was going on. I've seen a lot of stuff in church, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have too. I've seen people bring their own instruments to church. I remember one lady in a church that I was part of, she brought her own worship kit. She had flags and she had a tambourine, and as worship started, she pulled that out and she did her thing. She was worshiping Jesus and playing her tambourine and praising God with as much passion as she could. And you might come here and you think, I've never even thought of bringing my own instrument to church. I, I sometimes forget my Bible. I just bring my phone to church, you know. And I want to share some of those funny different things because I know some of you have experienced them and maybe you don't see them here because I think what we can so easily do is be so conditioned by what we've experienced. And you come into church with a little checkbox, you know. You go, well, they don't have a lady with a tambourine and flags. That's a cross. 
You know, no one's falling over and there's no modesty class. There's no blankets. That's a cross. Okay, they don't have anyone blowing a horn in church. That's a cross. Whatever one of these things, the pastor's wearing jeans. That's a cross. And we think actually the Holy Spirit gets boxed into this little place where he can only operate if things look like this. And we get so much more focused on the style than we do the substance of what he does. And I'm hoping also in this series we would take that stuff off. You know, that we would embrace the internal and the external work that the Spirit does. And some of the boxes that we've got of how God works would be broken. And we'd see that God is so much bigger than all of that. And he can work in powerful and significant and different ways. So today I want to highlight a few things from Acts chapter 1 and 2. So if you do have a Bible with uh, you, I'd love you to turn there. This is the birth of the church. This is when the church is getting going, when the church in Jerusalem is being launched, the first church ever. And in this moment, the Spirit of God is poured out in a powerful way. Acts 1 verse 1 says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The writer of this letter is Luke. He's a doctor, also traveled with Paul and some of the other apostles, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. So when he says there, before I was writing about all that Jesus began to do and teach, he was with, uh, well, he was recounting the stories of the life and ministry of Jesus. But now he's recounting the history of the early church after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And he's telling the stories of what Jesus is continuing to do through his church by the Spirit in this new age. And this is a huge thing because as we read through the rest of the Bible and all the way through church history to today, we see that actually Jesus is still at work in his church by the Spirit. One guy says that life in the Spirit is meant to be the distinguishing mark of the Christian church. That's a huge thing for us. So what I want to do today is I want to look at four things that the Spirit does to shape us into the kind of church he's wanting to make us become. The first thing is the Spirit empowers the church. In Acts 1 verse 8, a verse probably many of you have memorized, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We can easily just glance over that, become so familiar with that, and lose the idea that the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with power. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, what you'll see is it doesn't seem like everyone had the Holy Spirit and everyone was empowered. It seemed like the Holy Spirit would come on certain people for certain periods of time to empower them for certain works that God had called them to do. And then he would kind of lift off, you know. So what is happening here is such a significant thing because Jesus is promising in this new age of the Spirit that the Spirit will be poured out on all believers, on all the people of God, on all of the community of God, all of the time, for everyone, forever. That's like a really big deal and a really big change. The Spirit of God is wanting to empower you for the work of God. But I don't know how many of us in this room feel empowered, you know. Do you feel empowered today? And I was trying to think about this. You know, Jesus has promised us the Holy Spirit as a gift. All you do with the gift is you receive it. You take it from the person that is giving it to you. You don't pay for it. You don't have to do anything else. You just take that gift, you unwrap it, and you enjoy. And as easy it is for kids on Christmas morning to open their presents as it is for us to receive this gift from Jesus that he wants us to have. But I was thinking about this a little bit more. I think what happens for so many of us is like those kids on Christmas, we pray. We write our Christmas list. This is what I want for Christmas. We give it to our parents. We send it to God, you know. But then we're unsure if actually God is going to give us the present. But what Jesus tells us, what the scriptures tell us, is actually we know the present that is under the Christmas tree that is ready for us to open. 
It's the gift of the empowering of the Holy Spirit that is for all of us. And I want you to think about this, if I can just stretch this Christmas illustration a little bit more. Imagine Christmas morning, you come through, your parents are sitting on the couch downstairs, they're there by the Christmas tree, presents under the tree, and they've got a big smile on their face. And there's this big, glowing, glorious, well-wrapped present, which is the gift and the empowering of the Spirit. And you look at it, and you're so excited because this is what you wanted. And your parents have got this big smile on their face because this is what they want you to have. They want to give it to you. They want you to enjoy it and play with it this year, you know. But as you see what it is, you say, Mom and Dad, do you just mind? Give me a little bit of time. And you quickly run upstairs. And you go to your room, and you clean your room spotlessly. This is the best your room has ever looked. You make your bed perfectly. You've got rulers out. You're measuring every square inch of this bed. This has got to look perfect. You've got tweezers. You're going through your carpet, just pulling up any grain of dust or any bit of mess you can find because your room needs to look spotless. You go through everything, fine tooth comb, to make sure that your room is perfect. And then you get in the shower. You need to be clean now. You double brush your teeth. You put on your best outfit. You go and you pat your brother or sister on the head because, you know, you've got to be a good boy or a good girl. You want to love them well. You go downstairs. You clean up the kitchen. You make your parents the best breakfast you can muster with a cup of coffee. And you go through hoping that you're good enough to receive the present that they've made, you know. You think, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I'm not deserving. Maybe I've got to do more. But if I just try a little bit harder, then I can have this present and it can be mine. I think that's the thinking that some of us have got when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I'm not deserving of this. If I just do a little bit more, if I try a bit harder, but we're never going to unwrap that present because we're never going to be good enough. You know. Maybe the second thing some of us think is when mom and dad show you that presence that you want to open, you go, okay, I've got to get in the zone now. I'm going to dim the lights just a little bit. I'm going to put on some worship music, or ideally mom or dad can play the keyboard in the background to set the mood just a little bit. Maybe you put on some candles, whatever it is, and you're going to worship for the next two hours. You're going to worship your heart out. You're going to pray as hard as you can, and you're going to get down on your hands and knees because you want to get in the zone. You want to be spiritual enough to receive this gift of the Spirit. And I think some of us find that, you know, every day we live with this burden. Am I good enough? Am I spiritual enough for this gift? And this is such hard work that actually we give up. You just think, I can't do this. I can't live this life in the Spirit. It's so draining and so exhausting when really our parents are just offering us this gift to unwrap. And I think the question I want to ask today, and I think that Jesus wants to ask, is have you unwrapped the gift of the Spirit? Because the picture I have in my mind is some of us have been in church for a while, have been following Jesus for a while, and have taken that present and we've gone to our room and we've put it in the cupboard because we don't feel deserving, we don't feel spiritual enough. Or maybe some of us are even scared. We just think, if I unwrap this present, what is God going to demand of me? If I unwrap this present, what will he want? What will he make me do? So I'd rather just put this in this cupboard and just hide it for now because I'm just a little bit too scared. I don't know if I can go to that place with God. But Harbor City, this is a gift given to us from a loving and good father. The smile on his face is huge as he wraps this thing and gets it ready for us. And today he wants us to unwrap it and enjoy the gift of the Spirit and his power. The second thing that the Spirit does is he sends the church out as missionaries. So Acts 1 verse 8 starts and Jesus says, You will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it goes on and explains why. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So one of the Spirit's main jobs is to point us to Jesus. It's quite a big deal. 
I think probably some of us have been in rooms with people or in groups of people who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and want the things of the Spirit, but they never mention Jesus. That is a really good indicator that Jesus is not there, that the Spirit is not there, because the Spirit is a big Jesus guy. So the Spirit is constantly talking about and pointing people to Jesus. So you know that you're in a place where the Spirit of God is at work if people are mentioning Jesus all the time, if they love Jesus, if they care about him and what he's doing. If they want to know Jesus and make Jesus known, a phrase we use often here, you know the Spirit of God is at work in that place. And Acts 1 speaks about the Spirit giving us a new identity as witnesses. This is something we become in Christ. And also giving us a new power to be his witnesses, to speak to others, to point others to Jesus, to help people to get to know him. But I think probably what a lot of us have experienced is a lot of Christians act more like judges than witnesses. Horrible thing, eh? We stand as judges with people in our lives, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. And it's like we're critiquing them all the time, watching what they're doing, good or bad, right or wrong. It's like we've got this tally going of the things they do and we're looking down their noses and we're making our judgments so we can slam down the gavel and say guilty. You know, The Spirit of God doesn't empower us to judge other people. The Spirit of God doesn't empower us so that we can put sentences on others, imprison people in their guilt and shame for the wrong that they might have done. What the Spirit of God is doing is empowering us to be witnesses who tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done, our experience of him, what we've seen and what we've heard in the past, the the story that we have of what he has done. And rather imprisoning people in what they've done, the Spirit is wanting to set people free. Give people new life in Jesus. Set them free from guilt or shame or mistakes or sin and help people enter into a new life and a new community in him. The church is empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses for Jesus. And in Acts 2 verse 5 to 11 we read this. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those who've converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And what is so amazing about that is these ordinary Galilean people go out to the streets and the Spirit of God comes upon them in such a way that when they speak, people are hearing them speak different languages. It's like me preaching today and you're hearing Zulu, Kosa, Afrikaans, uh, maybe better English than I could do. You're hearing all of these different languages. I'm not doing anything special, but the Spirit is because he wants people to hear the message. They're hearing him glorify God in their own languages to preach the gospel, to point people to Jesus. And how amazing is that? That at the birth of the church, when the Spirit of God is poured out, it comes upon these ordinary men and women in such a way that people representing all the nations of the world would hear the gospel in one moment. It's a symbol or a metaphor of what the church is meant to exist for. That actually first the gospel changes us in a neighborhood. That Jesus does work in us here. But then over time that this community, this church, all of us are involved in seeing that message spread to the ends of the world, uh, world, to the ends of the earth. That people in outside of Natal and around South Africa and around Africa and the world would get to know this Jesus that we speak about. That is what the Spirit is doing. 
He's giving us a new identity as witnesses, and then he's giving us a new power to be witnesses. The third thing the Spirit does is he reconciles people in the church. Acts 2 verse 17 to 18, Peter quotes the prophet Joel in the Old Testament and says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard that passage spoken about, particularly in light of the power of God, you know, the things God does to speak to us. So we see there just prophecy, dreams, visions, power. We see the way that God is speaking to people through his spirit, through people like you and I. And in a sense, those lenses can hurt us because all of a sudden that's all we see there. The spirit of God is poured out and God speaks to us through extraordinary means so that we would know his will. So I want to ask you to take those lenses off for a second. I want to ask you to put on fresh lenses and just look at this passage and maybe zoom out just to see something else that's going on here. I think what we see in this passage is a picture of what the church is meant to look like. And again, I'm not talking style. I'm not talking outfits or music or musical instruments or anything like that. What we see here is the Spirit bringing a diverse group of people reconciled first to God and then reconciled to one another inside of the church community through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's such an incredible thing here. Acts 2 verse 17 says, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, on everyone. And this is such an amazing thing to think that people who before had been divided by history and culture and prejudices and backgrounds and upbringings and all of these things that separate us out there in the world, all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes upon us in such a way that it is bringing those people together, united and reconciled through the gospel in the church. When it says that the Spirit is poured out on all flesh, it means all races, which is huge for us in South Africa and in Durban and in Natal, that black, white, Indian, colored, and other would have the Spirit of God poured upon them in one community of people. And it also means all nations. Acts 2 is giving a shout-out to people in this church who are from Congo, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, England, America, wherever you might be from. The Spirit of God is speaking to all races, all nations, all people who are united together in this new picture of the church. We see the Spirit is uniting and bringing people together. He's bringing people together across gender. It talks about your sons and your daughters, male and female. We see he's bringing people uh, together multi-generationally. We see young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams. And we see socioeconomically, it says there, even on my servants, I'll pour out my spirit. We've got this picture of rich and poor, of powerful and weak, of influential and outcast, all together by the power of the spirit being brought together into the church. And this is so key, the socioeconomic thing, because South Africa is regarded to have the highest income inequality in the whole world. We have the biggest gap between rich and poor in the entire world, which is a problem. But in the church, the Spirit of God is bringing people together with different backgrounds, with different incomes, all to form this new church. It's the dream of God for his church. And it is our dream for Harbor City too, that we would see people brought together into one new family by the Spirit inside of this church. The Holy Spirit is changing hearts. The Holy Spirit is breaking down walls that would previously divide and bringing people together as one new man in Christ. And here in Acts 2, we see the Spirit of God is a community-building, church-creating, people-reconciling spirit. 
And we're called to partner with him in this city, in this church, in this country, and in this world for the reconciling work that he's wanting to bring. The fourth and final thing that we see here is that the Spirit transforms us. And at the end of Acts 1 and 2, a lot has happened. The Spirit has been poured out. People have spoken in language they've never spoken before. People have heard about Jesus. The city is really interested. And Peter stands up and he points everyone to Jesus. He wants everyone to know that Jesus is doing a new thing here. And he is the one at the center of this craziness that is going on. And we see in Acts 2 verse 37 to 39. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I thought maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying the same thing. What shall I do? You know, Grant, in light of this and what I've been hearing at Harbor City, what shall I do? What is the way I'm meant to respond? What would you have me do? I thought when I was 12, I probably had my first cut to the heart experience. I was part of a youth based at that church in Pantan that I mentioned. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful youth with some of my close friends. We went to this youth rally at Sonia Primary School, probably two or three hundred young people. I think we were eating Fet Cook and drinking Coke before. It was great. <laughs> Meeting some new people, go inside, there's some music played, some people share stories of what God has done in their lives. And a preacher whose face I can't remember, whose name I can't remember, no idea who he was, spoke a message. And at the end of that, my heart was cut. I was cut to the heart. And I remember sitting there going, I know I need to respond to this, you know. My friend Danny, who was up here last week praying for his church in London, he's sitting two seats down. The two of us left that room. We were told to go out and speak to a counselor if we actually felt that this message was for us. And I remember us walking out and we spoke to Keith Hawes. He was someone you might know. He was a teacher at the school we were part of. It's amazing how God orchestrated that, the person we spoke with being someone we knew. We went into this room and he spoke to us about what we'd heard and about what the response was. He spoke to us about God's love. He spoke to us about Jesus dying on the cross for our place, for our sins. Now, I was 12, you know. I was a pretty moral kid. I was a bit of a goody two-shoes. I hadn't done anything crazy. So sin wasn't like this big thing in my mind at the time. But I knew I was separated from God. I knew that this message was for me, that actually I needed to respond to Jesus, that I needed to begin to follow him. And Keith, in that moment, gave us some language to pray, to respond to what the Spirit had been doing in our lives. You see, I'd known about Jesus since I was born. You know, I grew up in a home that called ourselves Christian because we were white and middle class. We went to church probably twice a year, maybe sometimes three times. And at school, we would sing Christian songs. So I was in the Christian group, you know. I knew there were those people out there who were like real Christians, but I was I was Christian, you know. And I remember in that moment, all the stuff I'd heard about Jesus in the past that I knew, all the stuff I knew about the cross and all of that stuff that I knew became real. It's like the Spirit gave life to all of that information. And I was cut to the heart, and I knew that this was for me. And Peter prayed with us, sorry, Keith prayed with us and helped us to respond to Jesus and begin a journey of walking with him. I want to say, if the Spirit of God is cutting you to the heart at the moment, how do you need to respond? Peter says in this passage, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what we see here is that the Spirit points us to Jesus, and then Jesus gives us the Spirit. It's a pattern we see throughout Acts. Spirit points us to Jesus, Jesus gives us the Spirit again and again and again. I just want to ask for you today, what is your next step? 
How do you need to respond today to what the Spirit of God is saying and doing in you? Perhaps you need to repent today. Perhaps you've got sin in your life that you need to bring before God. Or maybe you're a more moral person than me, but today you know you need to come home to Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe as Peter speaks there about having your sins forgiven, you know that's you. Or maybe when he talks about baptism, you go, I need to be baptized in water. I haven't been baptized before. We've got a clipboard at our information desk. We'd love you to fill in your details and we'll set up a time. We can baptize you in this lovely pool to my right. The last thing is it says, do you need to receive or unwrap the gift of the Holy Spirit today? So you may be in the cupboard of your life. He's tucked away for safekeeping. But actually today you feel cut to the heart. I need to open this gift. I need to let the Spirit out. I need to let him lead my life as the resident boss inside of me. What is the next step you need to take for life in the Spirit today? Can we stand together? We're just going to pray and respond in worship. If you don't mind closing your eyes, I think it's just the best way that we can all focus. One of the ways that we respond in this church is by raising our hands to God. It's it's not so that I can know that you're responding. It's really so that we can yield ourselves to him. It's like little kids with a father just saying, pick me up, you know. She maybe today you need to ask to be picked up into God's arms as you respond to him. But Holy Spirit, I pray that right now in Harbor City, for those who feel weak and disempowered, that you would empower us. Holy Spirit, we want to be an empowered church. And I pray you would come upon us and fill us with your power. I pray you would fill us with your power that we could witness, Lord. For some of us who feel intimidated by the thought of evangelism or speaking to others about you, I pray even now that you would fill us with power and a new boldness would come upon us. That as we're in the shops today, as we're with family today, actually we would be able to help others to come to know you. I pray, Lord, for us that we would be a reconciled church. And Holy Spirit, that where there is prejudice or bias in our hearts, where we reject certain people, maybe they're poorer than us or richer than us, maybe they look different to us, maybe they come from a different nation to us, whatever it is, I pray you would tear down those walls now and make us one. I pray we would be reconciled to you and to one another in this church, Lord. And I pray for a transformed church. I pray we would be cut to the heart in areas where we need to change and that you would change us, that you would transform us. Even now, put to death sin in us, we pray, Holy Spirit, and bring to life the things that you're wanting to do. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Highlight things to us. We need you. If today you need to do what I did as a 12-year-old, you want to begin the journey of following Jesus, maybe you think you are a good moral person like I was, but you still know you're separated from God, but today you want to begin the journey of following him. Can I ask you to raise your hands to God, just a sign of surrender? Just pray with me and just say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you bring me into your family? Would you wash me clean? I want to follow you. I want to know you. If you feel cut to the heart, would you respond in that way today? Or today, if you just need to repent and you need his forgiveness, would you just pour that stuff out at his feet? The Spirit of God is highlighting something to you. Would you just... Would you just give it over to him and ask him to wash you clean, to take it from you? We just ask you, Lord, for each one of those things. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Just touching on four of the 53 or more things you do. Would you help us to grow into even more? We want to respond to you. We want to be filled with you. I pray you would come upon us even now. And as we leave this place, we would walk with you and do life in the Spirit. We don't just want Sundays in the Spirit 
We don't just want church in the Spirit. We want life in the Spirit. So come and speak to us and work in us now, we pray. In Jesus' name.